2: Welcome to the Bloomberg Markets Podcast. I'm Paul Sweeney, along with my co-host, Bonnie Quinn.
3: Every business day, we bring you interviews from CEOs, market pros, and Bloomberg experts, along with essential market-moving news.
2: Find the Bloomberg Markets Podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts and on Bloomberg.com. I love this quote I read just recently. Quote, right now, it's big tech's world and everyone else is paying rent. That was Wedbush Securities mm-hmm. analyst Dan Ives and Dan joins us here. Dan, thanks so much for joining us here. I love that quote you had. And the numbers we saw last night really bear that out. So let's step back, you know, 30,000 feet. And we had those big four tech companies last night report strong to extraordinarily strong results. How should we put all this in context?
4: Yeah, I mean, these stocks have had massive moves. And really, it's what's led the the market to the types of all-time highs that we're seeing. and But there was a lot of pressure, especially what we saw last week with, with Microsoft and Tesla, some of the momentum came off. Last night was a fork in the road situation for tech, and they needed to not just talk the talk but walk the walk. And this is a tech freight train right now that is showing no signs of slowing down across the board as the COVID environment has really accelerated these growth stories by 18 to 24 months. With Apple front and center.
3: So, what kind of stock gains are we looking at and what will these tech stocks trade at in, say, a year's time?
4: Well, I also think there's a re rating going on. And, you know, the the haters will hate, but but I don't see that till now. I think there's a middle innings of a re rating in tech because there's a lack of secular growth stories. And if you look more and more, you're seeing that consolidation. I still think FANG names go another 25%, 30% higher over the next nine months. And I think what you saw from these numbers, it reflects the fundamental cases. And now you're going to continue to see investors with a green light to buy tax this morning, and I think over the coming weeks and months.
2: Let's talk about Alphabet, the uh, parent of uh, Google, uh, Tom Keene doesn't even, it's, it's an Alphabet-free studio with Tom Keene, but we'll go with it a little bit here. Stock's all 4.5% here. Give us a sense of kind of the advertising and the business model for Google here in a pandemic world.
4: Yeah, definitely digital advertising is seeing headwinds, and and that's what Alphabet's being. and I think you've seen the stock reflecting that. But but I do think that this is more of a, call one to three-quarter, issue rather than something that's going to be sustainable. But you're seeing a knee-jerk negative reaction as this clearly is a headwind and they're seeing that front and center. And some of those other areas like Google Cloud, still small. That continues to be the core business. And unlike their FANG brethren, definitely not the results investors wanted to see, even though anticipation it was going to be weak, numbers even weaker than the whisper.
3: Let me ask you, if we don't get some kind of new stimulus that gives people a few little extra dollars in their pocket, if this, you know, next round is going to make people really cut back, do we see them cutting back on things like tech spending or, you know, streaming services spending?
4: I think most consumers view a lot of these names as almost utilities. It's bread, you know, it's really food, water, and a lot of these things stuff in terms of from Facebook to, to Apple to Amazon to others, in terms of interaction and really consumer arteries. And I think that's what's really happened here, is, is that these stocks really become tech utilities. And of course, the consumer environment, especially a $1,000 iPhone and some other purchases, could definitely get hit. And I think what you're seeing is for Apple to beat iPhone by $4 billion, in the middle of a once-in-a-hundred-year pandemic, that's a jaw-dropper. I mean, I, I almost fell off my chair when I saw those numbers hit. Dan, on Wednesday, uh,
2: again, the CEOs of some of these companies were right in front of Congress talking about antitrust, uh, ostensibly. Um, any takeaways there? What's the risk factor as it relates to just regulatory risk? Give us an update there.
4: Well, the one takeaway, it's better they did it the day before earnings than the day after just given the, uh, the types of profits they showed in, uh, you know, Monster Quarters. Look, I think it's a, it's a risk. I, I think it's viewed at in terms of it was still a little more grandstanding and more of a circus atmosphere, and I think investors came away feeling like nothing's going to happen in the near term in terms of breakup, but I do believe momentum is building in the Beltway as well as in the EU against these tech giants. So stronger, getting stronger in this environment. A lot of it really hinges on any type of legislative fix and or what happens in terms of blue or red as we go into the election. Because I think if you get blue across the board, that's viewed as much more negative in terms of antitrust toward tech.
3: Briefly, Dan, your thoughts on the four-for-one stock split?
4: A smart move. I think other tech giants are going to follow the same pattern because I think Cook, And the board, they they want more broader ownership of Apple. And by having a quote-unquote cheaper stock and a four-for-one, it's something that I think was a smart move. I think others are going to follow. And it just shows right now they are in just a massive position of strength and to be in a position to do a four-for-one stock split with a stock at an all-time high in the middle of a pandemic.
3: Yeah, I mean, it's pretty phenomenal, isn't it? Yeah. Dan Ives, equity analyst at Wedbush Securities. Always such a pleasure to speak with you. And boy, was there a lot to speak with <laughs> Dan about today, Paul. I mean, we were to a certain extent anticipating this, but I think in the era that's in it, I'm not sure we were even expecting yeah. the amount of you know, beats and good news and lack of uncertainty and so on that we saw from the big four.
2: Yeah, it's just extraordinary in this environment, as Dan was mentioning, to see how well these companies do and how it was a big, big pivot for the technology industry as it relates to Wall Street. It is time for Bloomberg Opinion. Welcome to uh, have Gary Schilling, president of A. Gary Schilling & Company, and a Bloomberg Opinion columnist joining us. Gary, your most recent comment uh, or your column here, bonds are sending the right signals now. What do you mean by that?
5: Well, bonds bonds typically lead stocks, and that was certainly true early this year. Uh, Treasury bonds started to rally. Rates declined literally the the first trading day, the 2nd of of January, uh, anticipating the the corona crisis. And, of course, it was barely known, but it wasn't until seven weeks later, on February 19th, that stocks peaked out. I think we've got the same pattern now in the last month. We've seen a, again, a significant rally in Treasuries, and I rather suspect that it is leading a sell-off in stocks because we are getting the, the second wave of the virus. Um, maybe we'll get a vaccine, but that's hard to know when. Restarting the economy is difficult. Washington is struggling over uh, the next fiscal stimulus bill. So. I think there are a lot of reasons to suggest that the economy is going into a second down leg and that stocks will be, in effect, reflecting that.
3: How will it manifest in the data? I mean, we're already seeing GDP growth, you know, down, so no growth at all, down by 32% contraction. I mean, are we going to see more quarters like that, Gary?
4: Yeah, well,
5: we won't see more quarters like that, or we'd be at zero in the economy. I mean, you know, this is a, if you annualize this, this is something like a 200% annual rate. Uh, that won't work for very long. But I do think that rather than the, the V recovery that many people thought, and you don't hear much talk about the V anymore, um, I think it's more an L, a big decline initially, and then a downward sloping lower leg. Uh, which will extend into next year. So when we start to see concrete evidence on the third quarter, um, I think that's when people are going to be forced to say, hey, wait a minute, this is an extended recession, and that's what I think stocks would probably uh, sell off and, and follow bonds, which have already rallied uh, prices up, rates, uh, interest rates down.
2: So, Gary, we're awaiting word from uh, White House uh, uh, Chief of Staff Mark Meadows in just moments about potentially some uh, progress that may be made on the um, stimulus bill. How important is that?
5: Uh, I don't think it is. it, It best is stabilizing the situation. I don't think it's really reviving it. If you look at the second quarter numbers, You had a huge jump in the saving rate. uh, The uh, personal saving rate, I think, was 15%. In other words, people have this money, but they're they're not spending it. And a lot of people are scared to go out. So putting money in their pockets and spending and stimulating the economy, creating jobs and so on, are really two different issues.
3: Gary, what do we need to hear from the administration and basically from Congress? We're awaiting Mark Meadows come out and make some kind of uh, commentary. We don't know what it will be. Maybe it will be some progress on on what they're trying to talk about. But apparently the Senate went home and we didn't get an agreement on the next round of stimulus. What do we need?
5: Well, you probably need at least enough to continue in some semblance what was going on. Now, there's a big hang up, of course, in the, unemployment insurance because the federal program on top of the state programs the $600 federal program, uh, with the state programs, uh, you know, there are many, many people, I think roughly half of the, half of the workforce was making more staying home than working. And the, the Republicans are saying no way to that. Uh, so whatever you, whatever comes out of this, I think it's going to be less generous than it was
2: before. So Gary, I mean, it- Give it a sense that um, this may be longer for lower, um, what do you think the Fed is, is doing? We heard from uh, the Fed uh, Chairman Powell or earlier this week. It seems like the Fed is there to support and to do, quote, whatever is needed. Is that enough?
5: Well, they've done pretty much everything you can do. They've bought everything in sight. They've even bought uh, Fallen Angels. Uh, bonds that are now rated junk that previously were uh, were investment-grade before the before the crisis. And, you know, they're buying corporates. They're supporting state and local governments. They've got $200 billion line of the Treasury to cover their losses. The Fed is already deep into fiscal policy. And Powell, in effect, is saying that. He's really saying uh, the next step has to be in terms of, of fiscal policy. Now, whether fiscal policy is going to work, as I say, is another issue. But, you know, it's it's sort of a saying, hey, we've done everything we can. Uh, somebody else has got to carry the ball from here
3: on. Gary, when you talk to all the people that you talk to, your clients and everybody who calls you, well, what are they saying about the election? Are they sort of anticipating at this point that there won't be a second term from the president, or is that not at all a, a done deal yet? And for those that are talking about a Biden presidency, you know what do they think that will bring?
5: Well, uh, I, I think people are very much up on the air on this. They, they nobody wants to underestimate Trump because you know it looked like Hillary was going to win hands down in twenty sixteen, and lo and behold, it was quite the other way. Uh, the, the reality is that it's very difficult for any incumbent president to get reelected uh, in a economic recession, and of course. Uh, uh, Trump has been trying to get the economy restarted. Now he's he's realized that isn't going to happen by the election day. So now he's saying, let's delay the election. <laughs> I'm, I mean, he realizes he's in a hot spot as far as Biden is concerned. Um, you know, I don't I don't think there's I don't think there's an awful lot that people are looking for in Biden. He's uh, he's tough on China or he says he is like like Trump. Uh, he's he's for more. Um, more income retribution, uh, sort of the, the classic democratic program well there isn't an awful lot of new initiative and I, I think the election is more um, it's more a referendum on Trump than it is a vote for
2: Biden Gary, what happens if the uh, you know again in the election we're focusing obviously as we uh, should on the presidential election, but also the a lot of big issues as it relates to the Senate and the potential for the Senate to go from Republican control to democratic control. So you might have a scenario with, uh, you know, a democratic sweep of both houses of Congress and the White House. Yeah, that's is that a, a distinct, concern or is that a an opportunity?
5: possibility. And of course, the Democrats already control the the House, and and the Republican uh, majority in the Senate is pretty thin. Um, if you had that, um, I think the initial reaction of of uh, the stock market would be a a big sell off, because it would be assumed that the Democrats would. Make make good on their pledge to redistribute income. They would increase taxes on higher income people. They would rescind the corporate tax cuts. Um, they would, uh, uh, in attempt to redistribute income to basically their constituents, lower income people, um, minority groups, and so on and so forth. And I don't think that that would be at all well received uh, on Wall Street. So um, if you have that, uh, I'd say you know look out below
3: have to ask you about bees in a moment, Gary. We always have to ask you about what kind of a season it is for those creatures. But I do also want to ask you, do we need to be hard on China? I mean, there's so much talk. It's become sort of almost derogatory now to talk about a new Cold War. But is that really what we're about to be in the middle of?
5: Well, we're in a, it isn't a Cold War in a sense. It's military, but it certainly is a Cold War in terms of of the economy, the Chinese want to be the top dogs in the world, um, and and they, they really feel that that's their destiny, um, that they 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 had that traditionally, the 19th century, uh, the the Europeans basically took over China, partitioned it. Uh, they call that the century of shame. They think they want they want to get back on on top. That's the way they see it. And what's interesting, the way they. The way they um, need to do that, yeah, they've got all the military exploits in the South China Sea. They've got the Belt and Road program, which is spreading a lot of money around, although a lot of it is is at losses. But I think the primary battle is going to be over technology. Because China, as a result of the one uh, one child per couple um, uh, birth policy, is going to have a declining labor force for the next 30 years. Regardless of what happens now, those people that aren't going to go into the labor force are already not born. So they need productivity uh, to have economic growth. And how do you get that? You get that through technology. Now, they've already, of course, been invading the West, stealing technology, demanding tech transfer and so on. And now they're trying to develop technology. They're way behind the West, but they're doing their best to catch up. And I think that's where the battleground is going to be. It isn't going to be yeah. a military. It isn't going to be rattling arms and, and uh, you know, praise of tanks and guns in Red Square. A cyber it's Cold War. It's going to be war. more the technology.
3: Yeah. Gary, uh, I do have to ask you about the bees because uh, obviously, you know, humans are facing coronavirus and you are a beekeeper and you make honey every single year from, from your bees. How are you managing in this time of coronavirus to take care of the bees and what kind of a season is it for bees? Well,
5: <laughs> good question, Bonnie. Um, it started off very, very mixed because it was a very warm back in March and the bees got going and they, they multiplied and then they swarmed and that's what happens when there are too many bees. And the old queen, the old queen and half the bees take off and they make a new queen, but even if you catch the swarm, and I caught six swarms this this year, I've got about 100 colonies and that's an a all-time high record. And you don't get any honey out of either the the old colony or the of new one. now the one thing about this is that there's always a snapback, and that's what it is and as a matter of fact, in two weeks uh we're going to be taking the honey off and it looks like we're going to have a we're going have a great harvest i was I was amazed, but you know this is agriculture and and you never know what's going to happen. The vicissitudes of nature and sometimes you're lucky and sometimes you aren't, but it looks like we're <laughs> looks like we're lucky this year.
3: That's phenomenal. And I have to tell all of our listeners, Gary You know, makes these wonderful jars of honey, but he also comes up with fantastic names for them every year. Gary, I just can't remember what the one last year was, but I'm sure this year it'll have to be something pandemic-related.
5: Yeah, I think it was, uh, I think it was. Uh, uh, regardless of the party, our honey is delectable.
3: Uh, yeah, Yes, <laughs> but, because there was yeah, a lot of talk about what impeachment way, if, last if year.
5: Any of our, any of our uh, listeners have gotten any great uh, slogans. We always like to have a topical... Usually, usually with a political or economic twist, uh, but the, the, the issue is that we you know we send out the honey to, to you and all our friends and clients uh, right before Christmas and we need a, we need a, a label that's going to be current into the next year. In other words, it can't be ephemeral with a point that by the time, January first rolls around and changes Well, I think history. you're fairly secure
3: with, with uh, things. Idea? I think you're fairly secure with things like pandemic vaccine, um, Fauci. All of these things might provide some fodder for uh, title. What do you think, Paul?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that, that's, to that's, a, that's a good
5: suggestion, uh, Bonnie, because because I don't think that issue is going to go away. No. And maybe we can get some variation that uh, our, our you know our our bees our corona uh, our. COVID 19 free. Well, you
3: may not want to go that direct, but yes. (laughs) They
5: get plenty of of diseases and maladies, but they don't get COVID 19
3: That's great.
2: Gary Schilling, thanks so much for joining us. Gary Schilling, president of A. Gary Schilling & Company and a Bloomberg Opinion
0: columnist.
2: you know, as we take a look at the economy, we really start to really have to focus on the consumer with all those terrible unemployment numbers and the impact on some personal spending, personal income. We had some numbers out today. Let's dig into those. We can do that with Reed Pickert. Uh, she covers uh, U.S. economy uh, for Bloomberg News. Reed, thanks so much for joining us here. Personal income, what's the data showing us?
1: Yeah, thanks for having me. So today we got the income and spending data for June, and it showed us two main things. It showed us that you know, spending continued its rebound in June, um, but remained below its pre-pandemic level. Um, and two, it showed us that incomes declined for another month as the initial boost from the one-time fin- stimulus checks, those $1,200 checks um, that were largely distributed in April, have continued to wind down. Um, But a very interesting part of it, at least that I thought, was at the same time, we saw that payments for unemployment insurance from the previous month, especially payouts for that weekly $600 in unemployment benefits that expire today, um, you know, increase. So, you know, we're seeing that households are more reliant on those unemployment benefits as a portion of their income than they have ever before.
3: Reid, what does it mean for, you know, consumer companies going forward who's had this amazing quarter, a couple of quarters for Procter & Gamble, for example? I mean, will that be in jeopardy if people literally can't buy what they need to eat and clean themselves and, and do all of the, you know, human functions necessary? So the $600, the
1: extra... $600 in weekly unemployment benefits um, has really been a crucial lifeline for the co- economy in this pandemic because it has broadly buoyed incomes and um, in spending in recent months, even as the economy, um, you know, has, has, has faced this pandemic. Um, and, and it's, it's hard to, you know, see exactly what the impact will be, but when you have these $600 payments, you know, Keeping these incomes up and allowing people to pay their bills, allowing them to, you know, keep spending at those businesses, um, it, it is concerning in terms of what this means for the economic recovery in the coming months. Um, you know, especially at a time like now, when um, some of the data that we're seeing is showing that that economic recovery is is stalling and and has been, you know, for the for the month of July.
2: So, Reid, give us a sense of kind of uh, spending versus saving over the last four or five months. Again, there's been a crazy time here. The government's responded with that $600 uh, per month. What's the data showing us about what people are spending versus what they're saving?
1: Mm-hmm. So the savings rate uh, surged to a record in in April, and that was mainly because of those $1,200 stimulus checks. Um, and we've seen the savings rate come down each month since, but still remain Quite high, so so the hope is that you know the the stimulus checks plus those six hundred dollars in extra weekly benefits that people are padding their bank accounts. Um, you know, as as we're moving into this period of uncertainty in terms of you know when people will you know when and if people will get an extra federal supplement to their their unemployment insurance. Um, but as far as spending, I mean, we've seen spending you know rebound in a lot of ways. You know, retail. Sales, for instance, um, are almost almost in line with their pre-pandemic levels. Um, but as far as the actual amount of consumer spending, we're still below what we were at before the pandemic. and And it, it'll be interesting to see on in terms of whether we're po- whether it's possible to get you know back to that pre-pandemic level of spending. You know, a while we have this level, the amount of joblessness that we have. B if you have these you know, extra benefits expire, um, and see just while the pandemic is, you know, impacting the economy. I mean, if, if people are, if people don't want to eat out in a restaurant when they'd normally eat out in a restaurant on, the fri- on a Friday and Saturday night, you, you fundamentally have those people spending less in the economy than, than they were, you know, back in February.
3: Reed, thank you for joining. Always a pleasure to speak with you. Reed Pickert covers the U.S. economy from Washington, D.C. for Bloomberg News. And of course, she's on today because personal income was down 1.1% for June, which missed the economist estimate for it being down 0.6%. And then the previous month was revised lower to down 4.4%. So obviously, we might have anticipated personal income really suffering, but personal spending was higher than forecast 5.6%.
0: This is Bloomberg Markets with Paul Sweeney and Bonnie Quinn on Bloomberg Radio.
3: All right, it is time now to talk to somebody who knows a lot about Facebook, but also about all of the other advertising companies and the tech companies in general. Mark Douglas is CEO of Steelhouse. Now, that's a company that specializes in targeted ads. They're the leader in highly targeted ads on connected TV as well. So, Mark knows pretty much everything about you already. You really don't need to interview him at all. Mark, just kidding. What did you make of the testimony this week from the big four? Was there any... Any danger for any of them that they might stray into territory that was, uh, you know, a little gray?
6: Yeah. Well, I thought Apple got off the hook. They have an absolute monopoly on the App Store, and it was mentioned, and but they kept, you know, talking about how, you know, it's only thirty percent, and we've never raised it up. I think they they were given kind of a free pass in the hearing, and I thought Google kind of um, their CEO did. A pretty bad job in the testimony he sound. It, i mean it, it was just kind of shocking how bad things went but amazon feared really well i think jeff bezos you know said i'm running a company here i want to win and i try my best to do things fairly so you know overall and mark zuckerberg clearly has done it before I and mean, he he looks so much um better in this hearing than he has had like two or three years ago when he did his first hearing before congress so i think overall um facebook uh, Mark Zuckerberg was probably a big winner, and Google, um, you know, just didn't do well in terms of that testimony. Let's let's
2: focus on Google a little bit, Mark. Uh, the big tech companies—they had their earnings last night. Generally, very very strong numbers, particularly Apple and Amazon. Uh, Google, disappointing. The revenue, you know, came in below expectations, down 10%. What's going on at Google?
6: Yeah, I mean, I think that indicates a pretty big problem. So when you have as much revenue, just as someone who runs the company and has been involved in a lot of tech companies, when you have as much revenue as Google has and you have as much data as they have, you have a lot of levers to pull to kind of hit your targets. And if they missed, you know, kind of underperformed against last year by 10 percent, that means they were on track to do a lot worse than that. So they pulled out all stops inside the company you would assume and still miss by 10 percent so that's a pretty big indicator that there's something more seriously wrong at the core um in terms of their advertising business the youtube business i think is under a lot of pressure from connected tv um so all of the growth of ad supported connected tv which is happening now is going to take money away from youtube so that's a big threat that's already um, kind of impacting them and is going c- to continue to have an impact in future quarters. And their, their um, cloud hosting business did really well, but it, it just is nowhere near where Amazon AWS is who basically invented the market. Mm-hmm. So I think there's a lot wrong with Google right now when you see that big a miss um, and, and with that much revenue and leverage to pull to make sure they don't miss.
3: Yeah, I mean, it would benefit you, right, if, if if YouTube did sort of lose out to connected TV. On which note, can I ask you about your partnership with, with Facebook, obviously, is, is, is well known, and I'm sure you partner with most of, of the companies. What are they anticipating? What are you anticipating for election season?
6: Um, in terms of, well, you know, it, it I, I honestly um, can't. Can't recall whether they're going to allow election ads or not because I think they kind of keep going back and forth. On that, I mean, without even without kind of paid ads, obviously Facebook is going to be used as a platform to promote each candidate's you know perspective and each party's perspective. Facebook is generally taking the approach that they're going to allow content; they're not going to censor content unless it's like harmful to the user. Um, I think they're in a kind of no-win situation on that topic. If they try, if they censor, it's censorship. If they don't censor, people are pissed off. And so, you know, that's another thing related to the testimony. I think that that didn't come up in the congressional testimony as much as you would expect and I think why it didn't come up is because Facebook has taken a position, Mark Zuckerberg in particular, that they're not going to, um, they're going to avoid as much as possible engaging in censorship and, and kind of just allowing their community be more informed except where it's harmful, um, specifically harmful to the people in the and, community. And let's so just the, say that censorship
3: is, you know, a particular word in itself that's, that, that, that has a particular bias built in, so you could Call it censorship or you could just call it you know not allowing you know yeah. things that aren't fact checked online to be published.
6: Yeah, I mean, the the thing about Facebook, a topic that also didn't come up that much in the testimony, is if I want to come and advertise, let's say, on Bloomberg, there's standards in place, there's checking of the credibility of the advertising, there are all these things that happen. And Facebook doesn't do those things. And I think that's really, for years now, been the big crux of the issue. Where can you go? You'll put in a credit card and say, hey, can I deliver this message to 2 million people? And you have no idea who I am or what I'm going to say or care what I'm going to say. And I think that at the core is the real issue there with Facebook. Are they going to actually operate like a media company or or are they going to continue to pretend that they're not a media company even though they take media dollars? And I so, think that's you know the, really the issue that every that is kind of the core of what you can almost call the Facebook question or the facebook issue
2: so Mark we you mentioned some of those uh, challenges facing uh, Google's advertising business, but it doesn't appear to be impacting Facebook as much. The stock is up eight percent today it's at an all time high. How does Facebook and their advertising business, how did they avoid some of the issues that are plaguing maybe some of the other digital advertising companies during this pandemic?
6: Yeah, so Facebook does predominantly what's called direct response advertising. The easiest way to think about it is they sell revenue so you want to basically reach a consumer facebook has access that access to that consumer and they have a lot of information about that consumer and so they're essentially selling you revenue in the sense of we can reach the people you are looking for and we can deliver them to your website or to your or to your mobile app and that is just that value proposition um, they have some competition from Google when the person knows what they're looking for, but most of the things you see advertised on Facebook are things you're discovering. And so, for discovering new products, there's really Facebook has no competition. And when you're selling revenue, that's not going to go out of style. That's going to survive, you know, pandemics. That's going to survive um, boycotts. And and the the and the, even advertisers that have boycotted, some of them have come back because you just literally can't afford to not use Facebook if you need to buy revenue to fuel your own business. And so I think Facebook's advertising business is not under any immediate threat right now. The long-term threat is if their data declines, if there were a massive data boycott, then Facebook would have some issues. But then they're not. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Mark, thanks so much for joining us. We really appreciate that, getting your thoughts, and I like that buying revenue. That's a great term. I'm going to use that. Mark Douglas, CEO of Steelhouse, giving us his thoughts Mm -hmm. on some of those big tech media companies. Vani, great numbers last night out of most of those tech companies and really kind of giving a lift to the NASDAQ. For Vani Quinn, I'm Paul Sweeney. You're listening to Bloomberg Radio.
3: Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Markets Podcast. You can subscribe and listen to interviews at Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast platform you prefer. I'm Bonnie Quinn. I'm on Twitter at Bonnie Quinn.
2: And I'm Paul Sweeney. I'm on Twitter at P.T. Sweeney. Before the podcast, you can always catch us worldwide at Bloomberg Radio.
7: Osage County, Oklahoma is getting a lot of attention right now. It's the setting of Martin Scorsese's latest film,